in our eyes, helping us in every way that possible, that we can have greater understanding than we've ever had before. We give you the praise, the honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this one, the first one, well, let me read the scripture that we're going off of. It's Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith towards God, of doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So we're going to be going over the six fundamental uh, basics of the doctrine of Christ. And tonight we'll be starting on the first one, which is uh, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And um, so I encourage you to read your books because, like you said, he is a Greek scholar. I'm not a Greek scholar. And you're going to get a lot from the, that book. But we're going to be just touching on each one of those and getting a good foundation on it. Um, so I will be uh, using some of his Greek that he used and, uh, and building off of that. So the first thing I uh, wanted to bring attention to is this talking about uh, not laying again a foundation. And the Greek word for foundation denotes something that is set in stone, a foundation that cannot be easily moved or shaken, or something so solid that will endure the test of time. So what he's saying here in, in Hebrews, that if we will get these down, these basic six uh, principles down, then it's going to cause our walk with Christ to be uh, solid. We're going to have a good foundation to build off of. The, uh, he was talking in that book I was reading, it was talking about over in Russia, and there was a uh, builder who was saying how fast he could build something. So he built, he built one of the highest towers, I guess, I thought he said in the world, but he built the highest tower and he built it in record time. Well, come to find out, he cut corners and the foundation was not as uh, solid as he made him to believe it would be. And the tower has, the, the building has never been vacant and is leaning. Or never been is never been used, right. occupied. It's never been occupied, and so it's a leaning building. And so he built the building, but he didn't have the foundation. And so he likens that to this: that you know, if we don't get these fundamentals uh, down, then later on we're going to suffer in our Christian walk. So our first one that we wanted to look at is the uh, repentance from dead works. Um, repentance is not remorse or a get-out-of-jail-free card. So I've seen over the years people that supposedly have repented and even come up to the altar and, and, and made all kinds of emotions and all kinds of, you know, mourning and whatever, and then later on go back and no difference in their walk. And so something was, something was missing there. And again, just because there is outward uh, emotions, uh, sadness or uh, crying or, and all of that, that is not a sign of, of uh, repentance. Uh, John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2 
He preached repentance. He said, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 14, or Matthew 4, 17, Jesus preached repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Acts 2, 38, we see Peter, he gets up on the day of Pentecost and his preaching to the, in, the, in that day, he said, repent. So we see those three right there uh, preaching and teaching about repentance and we see that it is a New Testament word uh, that is um, much used. Uh, one of the things that that this culture it seems have brought in is, is talking about uh, love and acceptance. That all should be accepted. We should just accept everyone. God accepts everyone. Well, that is not the message of the gospel. It really isn't. It sounds good to the. It sounds good to your ears, that and that would be something that we would think that Jesus would preach, but he didn't preach that. It is repentance and the kingdom of God is what he preached, and that is what the, that is what the gospel is about. Is about repentance and <clears throat> for the church to take that as being a word that is not welcome is just showing that we don't have the true meaning of what repentance is. Because we're going to see here in some scripture that actually repentance is a course changer. It is something that we should be, that we will do uh, through our Christian walk. If you're going to walk, if you're going to walk after the, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, the Greek word for repentance reflects a turn a change of direction, and a new course. Completely alter view of life and behavior or a decision to believe, think, and act differently. That's interesting. Because today, you know, the Holy Ghost was talking to us and one of the things we were talking and speaking about was the, your course being changed, your course adjustments. Yeah. And uh, that, actually does, that actually does go along with repentance. And so again, if, if repentance is thought of negatively, then that's going to be something that, you know, you're going to naturally shy away from, but actually that's going to be something that you're going to be leaning on. I've said this, and I believe this, that repentance is a gift to the church. Uh, it's a gift to the body. Uh, repentance begins to make it, repentance begins to make a decision to do an about face and change. So it's going, for, it's going one way and then stopping and going the other way. It's just making a change. Now, this is, this is interesting and this is something that we'll look at here in a little bit uh, more detail. <clears throat> but this word translated repent, there is not a hint of, a, uh, hint of emotion in the word, in the Greek. It is a decision of the mind and heart to think differently and to believe differently that then results in a change of behavior. So it is talking about you changing your belief, changing your way of thinking, which will change your behavior. But it has nothing to do with emotions. And again, it's always been associated with emotions. It's always been thought of, you know, unless someone 
is showing emotions. I was thinking about uh, a um, story that was told of a minister who had went to the reservation, Indian reservation, and he went down there to, to preach. And anyways, uh, in this particular chapel where they had their services, uh, there was an Indian on the reservation who was known as being a big uh, a disruptor, uh, very mean, huge, big, you know, where like if he would get drunk, it would take several of the officers to carouse him. And so anyways, uh, so he would, some, he would sometime come into the church, and when he would come in, he would tear up the furniture, and, and he was just, he was a real troublemaker. Well, this particular time he came in, and the preacher was, the guest minister was preaching, and he was preaching about Jesus and preaching about calling upon the Lord. And if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved, out in Romans 10. He said the, the man, the Indian, he got up and walked down to the uh, walked down to the front, to the altar, and he began to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And before long, everybody realized was what was happening. He got back up and started to go, and people gathered around him and began saying, No, brother, he goes, let us pray with you. We need to pray, you know. And he said, no. He said, I did what the, I did what the preacher said. He said, if you would call, the, call upon the name of the Lord, he said, you'd be saved. And he said, I did that. And he walked back. Well, they, uh, they soon found out that he was, he was serious about what he did. And he got born again. And he became one of the best uh, Christians there. And the preacher, he said, you know what? I didn't even believe my own preaching because he didn't. He said, I didn't even think that he could be saved just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, how many knows that is a total repentance? There was no emotion involved in it. It was a decision acting upon his belief and just merely came down, acted upon the word, and then walked away. Well, you know, that, that happens more, more times than what we, we think. We see, you know, I've seen a lot of times, oh, I've seen over the years, people who was not very emotional, just very much did it. And in your mind, you're thinking, well, I don't know. They didn't look like they got anything. But then turned out how that it affected their behavior, affected their walk. And then others, you thought, man, they really had an experience. And pretty soon, they're back in the world, back doing whatever they were doing, you know, and not being faithful to God. So repentance is again is is not an emotion. Uh, it can it can be, but it's not. But that is not the way we're to judge it. It is merely a decision uh, to make an about face, a change of direction, or to to make a new course. And we know that if we're going to be born again, then there has to be a repentance. You know, Paul said, was talking about the, on his road to Damascus in Acts, he was sharing his vision. And one of the things was that in that vision was that he was there to preach repentance, that they would turn from the power of Satan unto the power of God. Turn. Well, that's repent. So there has to be, there has to be repentance and even in getting born again where you uh, change your allegiance 
from the world and the God of this world and to Jesus Christ and to follow after him. So that's repentance. So, and then so repentance from dead works, that is something that is preached to the church. That's something that we, that we need to understand, how that we're to repent from the dead works, from those things that hinder us. Now, I, twofold, I see this as twofold. I think that there's a lot of times that there are people that are hindered because they, their faith is not developed in the fact that Jesus has forgiven them and that they're not cleansed from their, right, cleansed from their unrighteousness and still are bound from dead works, those things that are plead that are under the blood. Uh, I've seen that many times through life. Uh, I can think of one case uh, specifically and uh, said that right. Specifically, <laughs> and and anyway, uh, she says I say Pacific. <laughs> I was told that's the ocean. <laughs> and anyways, uh, there's one case that I that I know of, and this person is still uh, struggling over things that happened many years ago. And But when talking with them and asking them, did you ask God to forgive you? And it's always, yes, I did ask God to forgive me. Well, then why is that still affecting you? Why is that still bothering you and hindering you in your walk? Because those, that is really a dead work. There is, there is nothing to that, but they have a, they're having a difficult time receiving the forgiveness and cleansing that God has provided to them. And so it's not on God's end, it's on their end. And so they need to develop their faith in that area and, you know, where they're not moved with the emotions or the thoughts because the devil is able to take them captive just by keep replaying that and haunting them with those thoughts. And so... That is, uh, that is one of the uh, definitions, I would say, repenting from dead works, changing, walk, being able to walk away from things, things that you have put under the blood of Jesus, and then you're no longer bound, bound by them. Um, this says here that true repentance is a mental choice that originates in the heart to leave a life of sin, flesh and selfishness, and to turn towards God with all of one's heart and mind in order to follow Jesus. So again, it's in the soul, soulish area. Um, when we talk about heart, you know, this is the part of the heart that we're talking about, uh, being able to make that decision and choice and follow through with it. <clears throat> It's see, in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, How ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so there again, turned or repent. That is the life change. The, and then uh, walking away from the idols is showing the fruit of the decision. In Acts 17.30, it says, In the time of ignorance, of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. <clears throat> so repent means to change a minor decision, to think differently, believe differently, and act differently. That's true repentance. 
Okay, um, in Luke chapter 13, uh, 1 through 5, Jesus said, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, who blood, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering and said unto them, Suppose ye that Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. And so here we had a government that was doing wrong and who were killing the Jews uh, when they were doing their sacrifices. And so Jesus asked the disciples, he said, do you, do you suppose that the Galileans were worse sin sinners? Well, that would be a question we have had quite often when something bad happens, then those questions arise and we wonder, well, why did that happen? Was, there, was this judgment? That's, I think that's one of the first things that would come in our minds, that God judged them. And Jesus, his response was this. No. So that's the answer. No. But he says, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So the, the question was, why did this happen, Jesus? Were they worse sinners than all, everyone else? And he just said, no. That's it. But he says, except you repent, you shall also or likewise perish. Then he says, then he uh, says um, there were 18 who this, tow this tower of Siloam fell on them and slew them. So 18 people got killed. A building fell. And then he says, do you think they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? So we have this, uh, I don't know, catastrophe or accident. Uh, you know, it'd be the same like if a bridge fell out uh, some, and all these people got killed. And he says, so do you think they're worse sinners? And he, his, his answer to that is no. But, he says, then he goes back to you and me. He says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So he keeps talking about if you don't want, if you don't want these things coming towards you and happening, then he says, then you need to repent. You need to walk in repentance. So, you know, how, does, how is that something that can prevent us from being in the wrong place at the wrong, the wrong time. How can that save us? Uh, because he makes it sound like that repentance, again, repentance is something that you and I are going to have to uh, live by. Uh, like we said, I believe it's a course changer, an adjustment, course adjustment. Because it also has to do with judgment, judging yourself. Because you remember over when it talks about in the uh, communion, it says one of the things you and I are supposed to do is judge our hearts. And um, when judging yourself, then that means that if there are things that 
that you judge that are wrongs, things that are uh, in error in your life, things that are not pleasing, then we're supposed to what? Correct it. Repent. Repent is the answer to judgment. Making the change. And so when he's talking about living a life of repentance, then he's talking about, again, uh, I think it all goes back with keeping your conscience clear, uh, keeping your heart right before God. When you do err, when you do miss it, and you know it, then you're supposed to repent. How often do we repent? As much as necessary. It doesn't matter. You don't keep track of how many times you repent. Is do you repent when it's necessary? Do you repent as often as needed? Because why? Well, evidently, it can change your life. It can keep your life, keep you in the right, keep you being led of the Holy Ghost. And so, when he's talking here, he just says that you know there wasn't any there wasn't anything bad about these folks. It doesn't mean necessarily they could have been right with God and, and maybe they could have been Christians. You know, they wouldn't have been Christians then, but they would have been Jewish. Uh, they could have been, you know, walking in, uh, walking in their light. But the fact of it is, that day, they shouldn't have been there. That day, they should not have, uh, you know, because you know that the Spirit of God was trying to get their attention. When we were, uh, when 9-11 happened, there was a church in uh, New York, and uh, Shekinah Glory told us about this, that they'd go there and preach often, and they were talking about before they had 9-11, that they said that uh, the pastor had in his heart, he preached on the blood, blood covenant. And just, you know, for I don't know how long it was, it was several weeks or even months maybe, and preached on that. But they said that they had many people that were in those towers, that worked in those towers, and in that church they did not lose one person. And they said the miracle was that every one of them had a reason for why they didn't go to work that day. Some were late. Some, you know, uh, decided to not go in. Some had other things they attended to. But the fact of what the members that they had in that church, they did not go and they had every life saved and spared in that church. Well, that's a miracle. That is a miracle. And, you know, but what's the other uh, part of it? There were Christians in that building. There were many Christians that lost their life that day. Well, you know, were they, were they um, worse Christians? or say, Well, not according to Jesus. The answer would still be the same. No. And then he would just go right back to it. Except you repent, you'll perish likewise. So if we'll walk in repentance, and if we'll, you know, be easily, keep our hearts, uh, um, keep our hearts, not gentle, but keep our hearts, what is I'm trying to say, the tender, if we'll keep our hearts tender and be willing to make those adjustments when necessary, then we'll be saved. Okay, so here's the last part. Man, I'm going through this real quick. I should have got more notes. But this is interesting. He, he, in his book, he talks about Judas Iscariot. 
And so this is Matthew 27, 3 to 5. And it says there, it says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So, it said, it says he repented himself. Well, this word repent here is not the same word repent that is used elsewhere. So he says here, he says, we know that hanging oneself is not the fruit of repentance. So what does the Bible mean when it says in verse 3 that Judas repented himself? The word translated repented here is a very different Greek word from the word, I don't know, mentanoi, that we just looked at. And we saw the word repent means a change of mind or decision to. Think differently, believe, believe differently, and act differently. But when the Bible talks about Judas Iscariot's repenting, it's the Greek word, and it's a different Greek word, which describes profound sorrow or the feeling of being engulfed in grief. Remember, in the other meaning of repenting, that there are no emotions tied into it. That word. Here, it's all about emotions. It says it describes profound sorrow or the feeling of being engulfed in grief. It is... It is completely emotional word and has nothing to do with the ability to decide or to make a choice. So it's, it's totally about emotions. Notice it was a sorrowful emotion. He was sorry for what he had done, but yet he made no decision. And it says he, and, the, and then you see that he was engulfed in grief. It refers only to being swallowed up in regret and remorse. Judas Iscariot didn't repent. He did not make a decision to turn his life around. He was just swallowed up in sorrow for what he had done, and that sorrow engulfed him until he committed suicide. Well, that's... Um, that's a little sobering, but two, you, you understand then um, how people come to that degree because they're totally making, they're totally making a decision that really is not thought out, thought out, but is totally upon emotions and totally upon grief. And so we see here that when it says he repented himself, it was, not the, it was not the act of repenting that we're speaking of here today. So repenting means to make a change of mind, make a course, a change your course, uh, so that it will change your life and change your behavior because of the decisions you have made. One last thought here. I'll go over to Hebrews 
chapter 9, and going back to talking about the dead works a minute. Hebrews 9, verse 13. And let's see, let's go back up here. Verse 11. It says, but Christ being come and a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hand, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes and heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Notice that, that what is it that's going to purge? You know, a purging, uh, I used to um, uh, purge uh, test equipment. Or not test equipment, but purge um, measuring equipment. And so, like, there would be a tube that would go down into a well, and then that tube, because of the pressure of the liquid in there, then it would, tell, it would read out and give us a uh, digital uh, printout of how much uh, fluid was in that well. Well, that, that um, um, pole or that tube that would go down in there very often it would get uh, plugged up. And so there, therefore you wouldn't get a right reading. So we'd purge it. Well, how'd you purge it? Well, we'd take air and blow down in there and clean that all out so you'd get a, a right reading. So the purging, you see, was the um, cleansing of it and um, blowing out all of that dirt and mud and whatever it built up in there. And it says here that the blood of Jesus will purge your conscience from dead works. So how, how's that going to work? Well, I mean, by applying the blood. Believing in the blood of Jesus that when we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all dead works. And, and keep applying that with your confession and if we do that, then those dead works or the hold of that on your consciousness, it will soon let go of it. But you have to keep doing it. How often do you do it? Well, every time that your attention's brought to it. So if it's something that you know you've, you, um, you know, every time you get ready to do something, the devil reminds you of that, somewhere, a failure or a wrong that you've done. Well, and you've already put it under the blood, you've pleaded that, confess that to the Lord, then you would, how would you overcome? Lord, I want to thank you, praise God, that I am free from that and that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from that. And it said that it will purge your, purge your conscience. In other words, there'll come, a, there'll come a time where your conscience will no longer be hindered by that. That's how powerful the blood is. But it takes faith in that. You doing that. And like I was saying, that one person, that's, that's exactly what they need to do. They need to just uh, keep applying the blood or applying what they've done, working the word with their confession until it no longer bothers him. 
But if they're all caught up, and I think like, you know, we can be so caught up in our emotions so forth, we're not making the right decisions to do what's right and do what's necessary. So that was, you know, so there you go. That is how you would, uh, to me, that's how we get through uh, the dead works, purging our conscience with dead works. So, okay, any questions? You can. Oh, that's interesting, yes. 